Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. daughter Colleen she's graduated from high school and I remember when uh, when we found out we were going to have another kid I was, was 45 and I remember thinking <clears throat> for the love of God man I'm going to be 63 when she graduates from high school and I thought first of all will I even be alive um, then it was, um, what the hell will my life be like when I'm 63? And, um, I'm glad to report that it's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty good. So I went to an awards thing last night after I did my seminar. I have to tell you that um, if you listen to the show and uh, you know somebody that is struggling, you know, uh, in in the aftermath of trauma, um, I I you know I talk about post traumatic life all the time, but uh, the people I've met and the way you see them change and and the depth of the things they say in these seminars is it's amazing. And even for somebody who does it, you know, a lot like me, um, I love those discussions. I love listening to them and the things they say. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, uh, the next seminar starts on, it's eight weeks. Uh, it starts on, Tuesday, June 29th. So if you know somebody that, that, you know, you believe would be helped by um, getting to getting acquainted with post-traumatic winning, tell them by all means do it. They will meet really cool people that have gone through the same kind of things. And, you know, you'll you watch them grow on a weekly basis, a deeper understanding of, of, of their life. Um, much of it, you know, charted by post-traumatic winning, but 
the caulking of the seminar is all these things that people say. And it makes it incredibly compelling. Last night was no different. I had to leave early because of uh, an awards thing that Colleen was, uh, her high school was doing. And, uh, but it's just, it's really, really, really cool stuff. So anyway, so good morning to you. Uh, the Mensa brothers will join me. And we're going to talk about Iran. Iran, yesterday, they had two oil refineries, and uh, and they had a ship that got sunk. Now, there's more than enough cat and fodder there uh, if you want to charter the black helicopter to fire that son of a bitch up and, and get it up in the air. So, uh, so we're going to, so we're going to talk about that. Um, is this the, um, is this the revenge? Is this Israel sending notice? Hey, you better get your dog Hamas, right? On a leash in Gaza. So this is the, this is just a little notice sending for the 4,000 rockets we got and the nonsense we went through because you think that the Biden administration is not going to support us and we won't stand up for ourselves. So I think it's interesting and I think it's entirely appropriate. If, if that is the case, if it, this is Israeli sponsored, for too long Iran has sponsored this shit around the world without repercussion to its nation state. And I think hopefully... Even the United States is over that. With the with President Trump's hit on General Soleimani, um, I think that changed the game. It certainly had an impact on what we what we've seen around the world. So I'm not saying I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> so Mensa Brothers join me in about nine minutes. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. We will talk about all of that. As well as get an update, Will's in uh, New York for his parents' 60th anniversary. So we'll get an update on that. Jeff is moving to Las Vegas. We'll get an update to see how that went. You know we have to do that. So good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes it official.
And uh, this dinner dedicated to uh, my daughter, Colleen, and she's got a great group of friends that she's gone through high school with, and uh, they are finishing up. Colleen's got like three more days of high school, and she's done. Yeah, we were coming home last night. And I was like, yeah, screw this high school nonsense, right? This little kid shit. And she looked at me and she said, word. (laughs) Word. I said, yeah, trying to be, time to be a grown-ass woman. She's like, yeah, dad, exactly. I'm like, easy, you're 17 and a half. But anyway, um, so this is dedicated to my daughter Colleen and her friend. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Time to check the weather around Marineland. Currently in Quantico, it is partly sunny and 77. Down the coast of Camp Lejeune, it is hazy and 77. Marine Corps Base 29 Palms, sunny and 86 already. Yeah, 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 yeah. Camp Pendleton, partly sunny, 62. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 72. Camp Okinawa, Camp Okinawa. Camp Butler in Okinawa, dark cloudy, 81. And in Darwin, 
clear, dark in 77. And in Norway, partly sunny in 74. Yeah. So uh, that is a look at your weather. Wait, hold on. Currently, here at the home of Auburn Radio, Southern California, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area, it is cloudy in 63. Looking for a high today of 70. 70 tomorrow, 70 on Saturday, 69 on Sunday, 68 on Monday. All of that will work. All right. All of that will work. The, um, I don't have time to do the news today because the Mensa brothers are on. The top stories, um, I would tell you if you, uh, if you go through Stars and Stripes, Tarp's top story is Marines train on Okinawa for jungle warfare in the Pacific. Really? That's the top story uh, in the Pacific? The most interesting story I saw, uh, well, there's a story on sexual assault. Um, here's the headline. Military leaders wary of changes in sexual assault policy. and has to do with letters from the three service chiefs, right? The, the the Department of the Navy, right? Secretary of the Navy speaks for both the Navy and the Marine Corps. The Army, the Air Force speaks for both the Air Force and the Space Force. So, so the three service chiefs um, all express concern, uh, some for, for different reasons, about the current course of action. What's curious is there's evidently 61 votes in the Senate, and the House has a majority Yet this has not been brought to the floor. Uh, most interesting headline in Stars and Stripes today, anyway, is um, the DPAA, which identifies the remains of service members out of Hawaii, um, expects to identify 90% of the USS Oklahoma unknowns by year's end. How about that? So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, at least it is to me. Um and then in uh, Marine Corps Times, the most interesting story is the Marine Corps needs to restore its amphibious competency, Commandant says. Now, in a headline, shouldn't the word Commandant be capitalized? The Commandant of the Marine Corps. I think that's supposed to be capitalized. I'll ask the Mensa brothers. They will, they will certainly know that. Um, so, uh, so some interesting news headlines. So we will get them on right now. And uh, find out what the hell's going on. Tim Lynch joins me from McAllen, Texas. Tim, how are you? I'm doing good, Mac. You don't sound that sound like more of a question than a, a, a comment. Well, Cosentini's not in his traditional white T-shirt, which is odd for him. That tends to be his uniform, and he's unshaven. Nice, Will. Nice. Yeah. You and Tim look like like the Mensa sisters, like in your little dark T-shirts. Congratulations. 
just finished PT. Jeff, uh, me too. Jeff didn't get a look. Jeff did not. Jeff did not get the memo, so he's in his green collared shirt, looking like a doofus. Um, that's the doofus is the official uniform of contractor. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Truer words have never been spoken on this program. Um. Okay, so update, Will, uh, in uh, upstate New York, Endicott, I think. No. Undisclosed location. We can't be passing people in New York State that we have crossed the border. Oh, really? Will at an undisclosed location. Um, So give us an update on the 60th uh, anniversary celebration of your your parents' marriage. Yeah, today's the day. So... My brother and one of my nephews is in town, and uh, my sister and two of her sons and her husband are going to be coming down, and we're just going to have a little uh, family gathering today. So is that all of the Cosentini siblings? Is that your... Yeah. Yeah, it's everybody. Wow. So how's that going to go? Does your family gatherings, are they pretty... You know, everybody get along? Will there be any fisticuffs? Will you guys get it going? I mean, you know, Italian family, so there won't be fisticuffs, but everybody can't get along. What's the fun of that? (laughs) (laughs) Who were the primary antagonists? Who will it be? You and who? Oh, no, no, no. I'm the ultimate peacemaker. Yeah, we believe that. What uh? So you and who? Who is your primary antagonist of your siblings? Uh, we we don't have any of that going on. Come nowadays. on. Uh, th- there will be you know my father's usual comedy routine, and uh, uh, you know the, the primary antagonist is actually my father's best man, who will call at some point. So we'll. We'll let a little family lore out today. My father was over an hour late for his own wedding. And what? The, uh, the story goes that, that his best man had started him drinking the day before. And uh, they finally overcame it and decided that they were going to go. My father's best man will call him, usually on the second, sometimes the first, saying he has an ominous feeling coming up about the third. Uh, so that'll 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 get the ball rolling. Um, wow! And then from there, you never know what direction it'll go. All right, all right, Jeff. You have to take yourself off mute because I put you on mute because we're getting feedback from you because you're doing it from your speaker. Give us an update on the okay. the, the big move to uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, this is uh, this is reminiscent of advisor missions in Iraq and Afghanistan because never have I tried to to use all those soft skills and and uh, treachery and uh, you know all this stuff to do because but my wife is she's worse than any Iraqi or Afghan officer she's she's impervious to the to, to good example she's impervious to logic and you know and so She's a micromanager, so me and all the kids that are involved in this thing are just suffering through it. But uh, in spite of all that, I'm going to make it through without a major argument, I think. I mean, knock on wood. She's going to be driving back. She's supposed to come back yesterday. 
So I could have done this fucking thing like I'm like we're supposed to do it. However, uh, she just didn't have it in her to come to drive back. Now there's good and bad with that, you know what I mean? Because uh, so I don't, you know, really uh, bitch about it. But bottom line is, um, we'll be totally in there by, um, you know, by June fifteenth. You know, so it's not going too bad. So, do you expect us to believe that you're going to get through this without a major explosion? You is that with? Well, I'm just going to not. Re- I'm not going to retaliate. I'm just going to. I'm just going to be like. Uh, you're going to turtle. You know, yes. Yeah. You're going to reenact the Ronnie Lee step, kicking the balls, and just like puke and go to your room. I just pretend I got to go to work. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's good. This is great. I was there this weekend. Just that fucking, the pool is great. It's like, uh, it's like, um, you know, I've been feeling real stiff lately. I jump in that fucking thing and I'm good to go for like four hours. So, wow. So Jeff, how many PCS moves have you made in your life? Holy shit. I mean, I mean, uh, fuck one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight. This is going to take a while. Nine, um, <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve. Are you just counting, or are you actually thinking? I think I'm up. I'm up to Okinawa on a company. Two thousand eight. Now, man, you're, that was twelve. So, so 13. think about it. And let's say we'll just say sixteen. Yeah, that's about it. This this will be seventeen. In sixteen PCS moves, how much actual labor have you done for those sixteen? I would set the over under at ten hours total. And I take the under. Yeah, but I tell you, in the old days, you had to do a lot more. Like in the seventies, and the first big one was uh, moving from uh, Camp Pelton to Colorado, and. I had to do a lot of shit myself because it's just me and my wife and uh, I had an infant and, um, you know, I didn't know anybody to help me and shit. So it was, uh, it was rougher, but you're right though. You're right. Except this one is different because Lori in her endeavor to be nickel wise and dime foolish, we got like a huge chunk of our, of our uh, household move in this postage stamp, Goss boot like uh, um, apartment I'm in up in San Clemente, and uh, you know uh, so so we got our shit spread over three different places, and, I, and I'm trying to deal with that. How are you? I've seen Jeff PCS before. Typically, it means he puts on his PT gear, goes out to run, opens a box that has a book in it, and then he sits in a corner reading a book well, while everyone else scrambles around. Those days are gone. First of all, I can hardly... I pt this morning. I won't even be able to walk upstairs to the office after this. <laughs> and second of all, I'm isolated from all my books. I miss my books. I miss all your guys' books that I have in my life. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I want to see them again. And I'm done with you know, Within three weeks, I'll have all of that shit at my fingertips in Las Vegas. So... You have it. The, the move update. So, in terms of your mental health during this move, you, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it is because uh, I, I I separate myself from my better half. 
uh, either I'm in Vegas and she's here or vice versa. So, uh, uh, Well, there you go. That might be a recipe for everybody. Just uh, when you're moving, stay away from your better half, and uh, it's the, the path to better mental health. Speaking, okay. of, speaking of better mental health, Tim Lynch joins us. Tim, uh, how's everything in, Miss, in McAllen, Texas? Well, it's uh, low 80s. going to get rain today. We've been having rain for a week. The locals say that this is an indication of hurricanes to come during the season, that uh, that this much weather, this much uh, precipitation is a bad sign. But we've got a ton of it. Oh, so that's yeah. kind of the local folklore, like uh, what a divining yeah. rod, no wisdom. Exactly, exactly. There's all kinds of folklore. There's lots of folklores around here, though. They don't normally always pan out. But some of them you don't know. Well, some of them do, though. I mean, I remember living yeah. in North Dakota – there was this folklore that the reason, and it came from the, the Native American tribes up there, the reason no tornadoes hit the city of Grand Forks and East Grand Forks, which is on the Minnesota side of the river, where I lived was because of the fork in the river there. The fork <laughs> in the river somehow other exuded magical properties that deflected tornadoes. Sure. Why not? In this day and age, you could probably get that, get somebody to agree to that, but the the Native American. Well, how would you explain with over the years hundreds of tornadoes yet never being touched by one? No, no doubt there's science there, but uh, <laughs> the, the Native American tribes from this area uh, were, were cannibals. Uh, they're large people who speared fish guts on themselves and were hated by everybody. So they, they rapidly uh, they didn't survive contact with the Spanish. They were cannibals. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 cannibals. The conch. There's a uh, in the Michener book, in the, in the Michener's Texas book. There's one of the last one surviving uh, uh, is is at that damn Ford with that old woman, which is actually a true story. But yeah, they uh, they were not uh, they were not highly thought of by the other Indians. Got it. Or anybody else? Yeah, cannibalism. Not not a not a trend that that caught on widely and uh, was largely ostracized. Except on the mm-hmm. eastern coast of the United States, where it, where it, where it reigns supreme. Um, Iran had a tough day yesterday. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I saw, the, I saw the fire. My initial thought was, and the sinking of the ship. And in my, uh, in my superficial examination of the, of the event, you know, I thought, well, you know, you could somehow either detonate a device aboard the ship or, and you'd have a huge fire. But breaching a hull and sinking a ship, that's a different issue. Right? So I'm curious. You know, I, I, the, I, Gulf, the, the Gulf is real shallow, and there's a bunch of those mines uh, that are on the bottom that when they get activated, they come to, they'll seek out, you know, the closest hull, and uh, they'll blow a hole in it. And, uh so that could be, and it could even be one of their own mines. You know, they've been mines have been putting in there for for decades. You know, so or it could be that uh, they didn't want it anymore. They had insured it and they did it themselves for money. I was thinking that too. <laughs> well, that's that's just, the best theory yet. Hard to insure warships. So. Yeah, yeah and it was good. a it's a training ship that was. Uh, you're right. It is hard to insure warships, but. Uh, uh, it's just a mystery with those guys. And what, I mean, I, they're not—they don't seem to be blaming us yet, anyway. No, you know they're going to blame the Israelis. Um, yeah. And yet, there was a major explosion and a huge fire in at a refinery in Tehran, 
and another in the city of, I can't remember the name of it. Mirabad. Mirabad. Yeah. Um, like all coincidence. Do you believe in coincidence? Um, your thought, it's hard to sink a ship, man. I mean, look, the Bonham Richard, you know, burned for five days. It, the hole warped, but there was no breach of the hull. So, um, so give me thoughts on this. Will, you're a naval engineer. Um, your thoughts on the sinking of that ship? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in coincidence with regards to this. Um, you know, the Israelis are, are trying to straighten out what their government's going to look like. I haven't even bothered to try and follow it because it just I've sort of lost touch with that, whatever I knew of Israeli politics before. Um, but it would it would seem to me that if the sort of hardliner anti-Iranians in the Israeli government saw perhaps that a new coalition government was going to be less uh, hardline, that they may decide now's the time for things that we've had set up for a long time to just bring them all to bear. Uh, so at least they get used um, and send a pretty strong message to Iran uh, that they're not messing around and give whatever this new administration is um, uh, a challenge to overcome, but also uh, try and extend the life of Israel vis-a-vis -vis Iran for some time. Um, that, that seems logical and within their capability uh, and within the desire of the people that are in charge here now. Uh, the only other thing I can put together is, you know, Iran in many ways is still a third world country and you get heavy duty engineering stuff. And if you're in a third world country that's fairly corrupt and doesn't necessarily believe in preventive maintenance and all those things, that it could be a coincidence that a bunch of things just all went wrong at the same time. But I yeah. would... I would yeah. put that lesser. I would say there's probably a 20% chance of that and probably a 60 or 70% chance um, that Israeli or Israeli agents that they're connected with had something to do with it. That's what I would say. All right. Timmy, your thoughts? Well, I wouldn't argue the percentages with the gambler there. I, I, I think he's spot on. And I want to go back to the sucks tent attack on the Iranians' uh, uh, nuclear infrastructure that occurred uh, back during the Obama administration. And when that occurred, Obama and Joe Biden went to the uh, press and announced the name of the program, Sucks Tent, and that they had something to do with it. And I don't believe that was true. I don't believe we had anything to do with it other than a, a casual notification. As a result of that, both Iran and China launched a mole hunt in which they discovered that the CIA had a patch on, a, on the Internet that they put in 2001 to connect their agents to their case handlers and never upgraded the patch to, to make it impervious to uh, uh, hackers. And they hacked it instantly. And the CIA lost every asset in Iran and China, which was the biggest intelligence uh, uh, emergency that you've never heard of in 2014, 2015. Most people don't even remember this, Okay. I would submit to you that it's not a coincidence, and I would submit to you that Israeli, if, if what is, whatever Israeli is doing, they're not telling us because they don't trust us, and they shouldn't trust us. So we've got no friggin' idea. 
except for every time I see Iran uh, get hurt like that, I smile because I remember Beirut. And and it goes back to what all of us were agreeing on last year, which was Soleimani was not a replaceable asset. It's not like America where you take out Mattis. It's going to hurt a little bit, but we'll find somebody every bit as good. They've got no other Soleimani's. They don't, as a, as a coach, they bring up their talent very well. And they're going to have some significant problems if Israeli keeps the pressure on them. And there's no reason for them to stop. Yeah, if I were a betting man, I mean, I think what Will said makes – I never considered the the political perspective that Will, Will articulated. But that makes it even make more sense. And I don't believe in coincidences. Um, and, again, um, Jeff might be right on that mind thing. Um but uh, I don't know, when, when that many things happen on one day, um, to me, it looks to me message sending. Somebody saying, look, yeah. we and, and we did it with Soleimani, much to President Trump's credit, which was this. You want to fuck around with us in Syria and these other places, you know, and you, you think your little proxies, we're not going to connect the dots back to you. Well, fuck you. We just connected the dots and here, you know, have a load of this. I mean, you talk about something that changed the dynamic of the American-Iranian relationship, and and really rocked Iran. Um, you know, that was that was it. And so, to me, I don't know if this is a fact, but it would make a lot of sense to me. Israel saying, "Look, we're not sure what the Americans are going to do, but we want you to know this: we're not going to only retaliate against Hamas or whatever other proxy you use in the region." We will come for you. And I think that changes the whole equation in the Middle East. When Iran starts paying a price for their shit and not just their proxies get hammered in Gaza or, you know, in the West Bank or wherever the hell they are, right, I think that changes the game. And, and, and I think where I'm betting, man, I would, I would bet on that because I don't believe in coincidences. But again, you know, breaching the hull of a warship, you know, and, and this was a supply ship with a big helicopter you know, a, a relatively large helicopter, you know, platform on the back of it. Um, and so that's not easy to do. And even once you do it, right, the ships are designed to be compartmentalized and to float. When you saw the size of the fire on that ship, the pictures that, that were out there, and then you see it down in the water, like, I'm not sure what happened on that ship, but holy shit, man. That was a, that was a major event. All right, just a a little bit of my experience being there for a year you know uh it was 1970 late 76 to early 78 i was there and during 1977 there was a, a series of disasters where buildings would collapse it goes to what will was saying and that uh, they were trying to the shah was really trying to bully them out of it he's like kind of like the peter the great of uh of their he fancied himself the peter the great of iran trying to drag him kicking and screaming into modernity and uh there's buildings collapsing. I remember the ambassador's always going to some memorial. There's some stupid accident that killed dozens or even hundreds of people. And uh, and so the other thing is uh, that uh, mo- they don't, the average Persian guy doesn't, he feels demeaned by doing manual labor. And so most of their like skilled stuff that was going on was uh, people they imported from like South Korea, from the Philippines and from East Africa. And, uh, and also the Armenian and the Azerbaijani minorities that were there, most of the people who worked for the embassy 
like the drivers and stuff, they were of that ilk. They weren't no kidding Persians. And most of our most of our Taji men, you know, our interpreters were uh, were that too. So you know, I think uh, you know you get this perfect storm of uh, you know of a kind of corruption and uh, lackadaisicalness. And then the other fact is that uh, there's a lot of people in Western Europe and in America who ran away from Iran. 79 and 80 or you know maybe even a little later and they're investing money for people back there there's close ties and i think that really frustrates the iranians because they have a they got a lot of dissidents in that country people are not happy you know as you would think with uh, the islam islamist uh, shia islamist government there so you know it's really a mystery it might not even be um i just don't know, you know, like Will was saying about the Israeli politics and stuff. I just don't know that much, except to know that uh, they've caused, like, they've caused a lot of hate and discontent, and there's a lot of people after them. So, you know, it's just kind of, I think things may clear up another couple of weeks. They might get a better idea of it. Right now, it's just kind of a mystery. Timmy, you were going to say something? Yeah, it's pretty close, pretty clear they don't have very, they're not very capable of damage control. And that's one of those things that, you know, our standard, uh, we've had carriers in World War II fully engulfed in flames that we were able to nurse back to port and, and put back into action. But I believe that our proficiency at, at, at that kind of damage control, which we perfected in World War II, which we no longer possess probably, but we're like one of the few guys that can pull that off. And I just wanted to, to point that out. They didn't apparently make any effort to try to save the thing. They just bailed off the damn platform. And that's that would be about the equivalent of their infantry performance. Not very, uh, not very professional or that not very impressive. Well, especially when it gets difficult because damage control, right? That's a, uh, right. Um, it's I don't hard. Want, yeah. I don't want to, it's very hard. I don't want to sound like a, you know like a straight up sexist, but that's like grown ass man shit. And, and when I say, man, I mean, I mean, even among, you know, when you see damage control parties, they're big dudes. They're not little. They're not little guys. They're big. And damage dudes. control school isn't any walk in the park either. Right. I mean, you yeah. you take the because what the, shoring and and all the things mm-hmm. that they have to do. I mean, that's like brute strength shit uh, on a ship. And I'll tell you what. And, and it's it's going towards fire. It's going towards flooding. The lights are out. It's full of smoke. Right. A lot of times you're wearing a breathing apparatus. It's not for the faint of heart, man. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, you better. I mean, it is the most probably the most demanding. I don't know. You guys have all been aboard ship. The most demanding event on a ship, damage control. No, I mean, without without question, without question. Well, we've been on we, we've been on ships a lot, all of us. And so reading the books by Hornfisher and uh, and Toll, you know, even though I, I can imagine what it must have been like. All the power goes out. It's totally dark. And plus the, the explosions and uh, impacts that have been made on the ship changes the, you know, the geography of the ship, so to speak. And that, you know, what was once up is now down. And what was once a, you know, passageway is now clogged with busted gear and stuff. So it's, uh, I could see, you know, how challenging it would be, you know, to have something like that happen. Jeff just brought up uh, a name. I think we need to stop and pay recognition. Yeah, no to. kidding. I couldn't believe that, Tim, when you yeah, said that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got the I got the news from uh, Tom Wade this morning that James Hornfisher passed away yesterday. Man, he's so yeah. young. Well, how did he die? Uh, it's I. It's in the, in the obituary page. I have it. Doesn't say. I got to imagine it's some kind of some kind of cancer. Something that was aggressive, yeah. and uh, they couldn't fight off. It's too bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a damn shame. Man, we lost a we lost a very valuable voice. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, when uh, I I kind of stumbled into you know doing content um, uh, last stand of the tin can sailors. Um, you know, it's, I mean, just what a great storyteller he was, and to make history come alive like that, and and to include um, a lot of the resources that you know, a lot of the books that had been written 15, 20 years ago didn't have access to in terms of digital archives and things like that. Uh, just a masterful uh, craftsman. Um, and and it's certainly a sad day for anybody who loves history, anybody who, certainly who loves naval history. Uh, sad day, sad day. But uh, we, but again, if you, if you have not availed yourself of his writings, um, I, by all means, um, um, he and, and Ian Toll, are I, I would say names you hear on this podcast with these guys constantly in terms of guys who write uh, history and naval history and do a great job at it. Um, yeah, young guys too. Yeah, I want I want to I want to link um, something that that we just talked about. Tim just talked about with something Grant Newsom said to me yesterday. When you look at the the narrative about Wuhan that's in the news these days. Um, Grant said, you know, we have a central intelligence agency that is supposed to know or be able to at least get us to ground truth on shit like this, right? Um, So how does the CIA not know? You know, you're hearing stories of um, that, that technicians, I'm not sure if they were researchers or, you know, field hands, from the Wuhan lab tested positive for a respiratory virus in November of 2019. And And hospitalized. Right. Hospitalized. Now that doesn't sound. We did know. I think we did know. I, that was in my blog a year ago, bro. We knew about that a year ago. Look at those. um, At least one Senator, if not two senators come out of the briefing and sell their whole portfolio. You know, I think we did know back then. But that was in the press even. That was even in the press, but it got suppressed because Orange Man banned. You got it. Okay, here's what I want you to do, Timmy. Can you footnote that? I want yeah, I can't. Well, hold on a second, brother. While, while we're talking, and, I'll and go so right beca- to my blog Because to me, so what Grant said is, is how, you know, over, what, a year and a half later now, we are uh, the President of the United States – and, and it might be political theatrics, but is saying, you know, our intelligence community needs to get into this, right? You know, and and but I want to link it back that the damage that Tim talked about was real damage to American intelligence collection in uh, China, right? And 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 so you made me recall that. So um, anyway, before we move on to this subject, I just wanted to. To, to footnote that 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 how can we not know and you're telling me you think we so if you i here's why i don't think we we knew and and because i don't think donald trump would have had any problem taking that intel public you know you would see him um he would tease things that he couldn't take public and then you would find out months later that Holy shit, that's what he was talking about way back then, but he didn't say it. Um, 
So I don't think he would have had any problem airing that shit out. He's not, he's not kind of a close hold guy, at least from my observation. Yeah, and and maybe, maybe, you know, things weren't definitive. Right. right? There's another SARS type uh, pathogen out there. Um, And at some point, how much do you want to expose sources and methods? Um, But you see by some of the action, you know, you see the guys that that we basically had a false front to fund the Wuhan. U.S. government didn't give money to Wuhan. They gave it to a private company. They gave it to Wuhan. uh, And the guy involved in that you know, immediately is covering that we weren't doing this gain of function research. Uh, Fauci was denying that we were doing gain of function research. Yeah, we weren't, but the money we gave to a private company to send it to Wuhan was. Uh, can you explain to everybody gain of function research? I, I don't know that I can explain it, but my sense is they they have some sort of biologic agent and they're figuring out how to weaponize it, how to spread it from where it is. Uh, is it, how could you make it yeah. survivable? Right. So I think it could be actually weaponized. I think what it is, you take the elements that could be a disease and you make it into a full blown disease. And then you uh, come up with a, uh, an antidote or a, a, a vaccine for it. And uh, that's the, and that's hugely risky. But, you know, you think, well, eventually this thing's going to happen anyway. We're going to have another thing like Ebola or AIDS or something like that. So you invent it and then you kill it, you know, in an experimental way. And so that's, you know, you have that in your uh, your weapons bag if the thing ever breaks out again. But it's really dangerous because you get out before you figure out. the. I think that's what happened, you know, to a certain extent. This thing well, got got loose. The uh, uh, the gain of the gain of function, real quick, guys. My understanding is what was going on is they were manipulating coronaviruses because they were trying to get something that they could use to combat AIDS and other diseases through the epithelium layer. And what they were trying to do was take the protein capsule from the Wuhan uh, or from one of the coronaviruses, insert it with engineered RNA to do something to the body, and let that penetrate the epithelium. Therefore, they could start tackling AIDS and other types of things that appear to be autoimmune. I believe that was that was my understanding of the original gain of function. And I'll go I'll go back to searching for uh, my post. But I'm damn I'm, I know I was talking about the Chimera. I t- when you when I was on your radio podcast a year ago, I was saying Chimera. I'm, I'm going to find it here in a second. The, the gain of function stuff. But I was I was that was well known. Uh, a, a year ago, it was just squashed with the with the hydroxychloroquine. And yeah, but the, I, I don't, uh, the, I don't the, think and all the other stuff. I don't think D Trump. If that was a conclusion of our intel apparatus, I don't. To me, D Trump throws that front and center. And I, I it, can't answer that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'll find, I'll find it, Mac. But I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute myself and go back to looking. All right, um, you don't have to mute yourself. Um, next subject. Commandant the Marine Corps says. that the Marine Corps needs to restore its amphibious competency. Now, 
first a grammatic question. If you're writing a headline and you write and you use the word commandant, referring to the commandant of the Marine Corps, shouldn't that be capitalized? Yeah. It's the Marine Corps Times. Come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so but it should be common it should be capitalized, yes? Even in the How would the Marine Corps Times know that? Okay. They wouldn't even capitalize God. How much oh well that that's more of an editorial statement. Maybe this is an editorial statement, right? Yeah, maybe. A lower, it's, the, yeah, uh, but they do ca- they do cap the same headline. They do capitalize Marine Corps. So at least they <laughs> under- God, small <laughs> At least they, at least they understand that. All right. So evidently, General Waldhauser now is going to be named to a uh, a blue ribbon commission to help restore the institutional knowledge of amphibious operations that was lost after nearly two decades of fighting in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> give me your thoughts on that. Timmy, you want to go first? Exit strategy for uh, Jeff and Will. There you go. Yeah. I, 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 other, other than saying something snippy like that, what the hell can you say? you got to be shitting me. Re- relearn? That. Uh, I... I What's a, blue I, I, I ribbon, what's a blue ribbon commission for? Yeah. Blue ribbon commission suggests to me that you're you're taking people, you know, outside the uniforms. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems crazy. The commandant responsible, organize, train, equip. If he thinks that the training is deficient, then give direction that says we're going to increase training. Here's our training objectives. Here's the people responsible for them. Here's the reporting cycle to get back to me. Here's the amount of resources that we're going to devote. That's all well within, you know, that sits right on his desk. Does he need retired generals and other people to tell him the conclusion that he's already made and to devise the program or to identify the deficiencies? I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the MEF commanders, I think that's within their responsibility. Those guys are been on active duty for 35 plus years. If the commandant tells them, I think that our uh, amphibious capability is deficient, you know, first thing I would look at, look at the DERS report, see what we've been reporting on amphibious capability for the last 20 something years. I bet we were been reporting a one ready to go. Okay. Uh, I guess we need a culture where people can not be afraid to tell the truth and their classified readiness reporting. Um, but then tell someone to get on it. Uh, is, is this, is this, uh, I don't know what it is. We, we sank an Amtrak. We killed nine guys. We seem to be stumbling through the public response to this the whole way. And at some point, I've seen the commandant stand up and say, I'm responsible. Okay, if you're responsible, just tell them what the plan is. Marines are actually pretty good at doing what the commandant tells them to do. (laughs) Just tell them. Uh, I can't believe that a MEF commander would come back and say, well, commandant, I don't think you're right. I think our amphibious capability is just fine. We should devote a lot more of our resources to training on X. It's just hard for me to imagine. So I, I don't know what 
Yeah, no idea. No idea what's going to be on there. But let me accentuate. Commission. Well, since you seem to be since you seem to be struggling with the concept of a blue ribbon commission, let me just define it for you. Uh, in the United States, a blue ribbon committee is a group of exceptional people appointed to investigate, study, or analyze a given question. Blue ribbon committees generally have a degree of independence from political influence or other authority, and such committees usually have no direct authority of their own. So, you know what a blue ribbon committee is really for? It's to kick the can down the road. We've had blue ribbon committees on social security, on this, on that. All it is is to throw some dust into the eyes and buy time for some other stupidity to take over the news cycle and kick this thing down the road. Yeah, the General Wallhouse was like Vice President Harris to, to uh, comment on this. If, so if, he's in charge of this nothing thing. If the Commandant of the Marine Corps doesn't believe that he's got the authority, the capability, the capacity to organize, train, and equip, and he's going to pass it off to somebody else, it just seems bizarre to me. Did General Barrow convene a Blue Ribbon Committee to figure out Paris Island, or who was his Commandant then? He basically told Wilson, said, fix it. Yeah, they're all destroyed. So well, Wilson and Barrow were like, you know, hand in hand. But, yeah. that's, but that's yeah. the that's the narrative coming out of headquarters Marine Corps that you know we've lost our amphibious chops. We've lost, you know. Um, I mean, because we're the victims. We had to go fight yeah. a war. We're the victims. <laughs> <laughs> Which we didn't use AVs for the last half of it, right? Right, and we've been doing MUSE the whole time. We've been we've been certifying them and sending them to sea. And and I know, like the eleventh, the fifteenth. I mean, they all transited to CENTCOM, twenty second, twenty sixth. They all chopped to CENTCOM. But in order to get certified, you got to go through the amphibious piece, and you got to do that shit. I don't think any of that that has been waived. And so, to me, what's what's been degraded, what's been degraded is right, is the operational discipline of the Marine Corps. And, and 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 it's it, you don't have to you don't have to look very hard for for examples of it you know just pay attention you know to the, to the major mishaps and see what the cause of that is rarely do you see it say oh this piece of equipment failed catastrophically everything else was good it's not like that it's not what you read and you see it yeah. over and over and over again and so i i don't know to me it is it, 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 we're saying we've lost something. What are we going to do? Write more clear orders? We're going to now. Well, I mean, we, we're now going to say amphibious, you know, amphibious stuff is half half. It's the navy, and the ships have been dwindling and dwindling and dwindling for the last twenty years, and uh, and also there the money and, and uh, effort they put into those ships. So the uh, you know from what I saw from between two thousand fourteen and two thousand seventeen. Those new commanders, all four of them, that I, I, they were very good. And from what I could see, the guys on the West Coast were, were really good too. And the, uh, and most of, and most of the stuff they did was masterful. And the thing, that, the one thing that would bite people in the ass was crappy fucking gear, because, you know, it just wasn't being, uh, it just wasn't 
being maintenance well enough and money wasn't being spent. Yeah, but Jeff, I will tell you this. We've dealt with crappy gear for a long time. We've dealt with this amphibious situation for a long time, and we've never killed nine human beings because we had people that read orders, followed SOPs, and what are we going to do? Rewrite and take all the discretion out of the order? We're going to make you, instead of... Instead of if you're a section leader being able to simply collect the card, now you have to upload it digitally before you move. Are we going to create no, that? I don't think. Uh, yeah. I mean, are we going to create that kind I of think, shit? Is that what we need? Yeah. You know? No, no, not at all. I think what's going to happen is just what did you say it or will say it? But it's there, this thing, the whole blue ribbon, ribbon committee, and all this crap. What's going to happen is they're going to just they're just doing that until it blows over, and and because life, the Marine Corps goes on. These guys here who are doing the stuff now, they're right below me. And uh, they just finished the last Surdex, and they did a bunch of fucking operations. Granted, you could tell they were more uh, risk-averse on this one because of what happened, you know, with the AAVs. But, uh, you know, th- and th- there's real, they're really paying attention to the safety aspects now to the point where they probably do, they're probably not as well-equipped in the training, you know, the training mode as most of the music go out now because they're just scary. But uh, yeah, I think what's going to happen is when it, the Marine Corps is going to go on, and they're going to, you know, they're going to fire a couple. Of, I think General Castelvi is probably going to get uh, you know, some kind of retribution for this thing, and uh, and that's it, and it'll go on because uh, you know we could be involved in some kind of conflict next week. They, they yeah. can't dwell on it, you know. And, and and again, go to the the second and third question. So if our amphibious capability has been so degraded. Who are all the Mew commanders that have been promoted? How could how could we have a personnel system that would promote people that didn't know what the fuck they were doing? Because obviously the amphibious capability has been degraded. How about all the MEF commanders? Right. They've been reporting that their amphibious capability is perfectly fine. Right. And they know and, the tactics, techniques, procedures. And they're specifically responsible for standing up, right? Training right. and equipping the Mews. Yeah, so this, again, the, you Googled the definition of a Blue Ribbon Commission. Go ahead and Google the history of Blue Ribbon Commissions and find one that actually did. You know, when Challenger went down, I don't know if they did a Blue Ribbon Commission or they put a panel together of experts to pull that thing apart. And it was going to be actionable. And they did it before someone just broke it off right in their ass. And then they, they listened to what they put in there. Well, it's Mac read off the definition of Blue Ribbon Commission, and one thing I know now is why I'm never on one. Yeah, and all the commissions in the world aren't going to fix your naval shipping problem, and that's the other half of the equation. Yeah, but again, I, 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 go back to, I go back to this, this problem, you know, and, and I harp on this all the time, but... You know, were I a parent, right, the thing that would uh, – that I would not be able to get out of my head is that I, – I'd be curious if we went through – again, went through the findings of fact. How many different instances, if one person does one thing that they're fucking supposed to do by order, by SOP, by MOS, if one person does one thing that they're supposed to do – Right, my son's not dead. How many of those would we find in that investigation that exist, you know, at the company and platoon level and below? I mean, yeah, but Mac, that's the Swiss cheese model that I disagree with. 
There were systemic I, no, no, no. failures. I, I don't I don't doubt that, Will. I, I and I don't disagree with you. But but again, I think you're the one that that, that said it. And I don't think this is a switch cheese model. I believe it's negligence. Right? It's not doing what you're supposed to do. And, and, and neither the assistant commandant nor the commandant have said this. If you read those findings of fact and you walk away from other than this was preventable and, and it was what really, and yeah, were there, were there equipment failures? Yeah. But that's kind of sucking the life out of the, the room. The real problem in this investigation, in my opinion, is that repeated and multiple failures of small unit leaders to do the things that they're supposed to do. To do the things small that they're supposed to do. Small unit leaders and big unit leaders. Right. And I, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And that, to me, is not losing your, 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 your amphibious chops. That is not that problem. And, and I think right. we, you I know, agree. And so, to me, are, do, do those other problems exist? Yes. Is that the one you should be solving? I don't think so. The um, all right. Now I know people have stuff to do today. Um, let me just see where I am on my agenda. Um, uh, are you surprised? There's evidently 61 votes in the Senate um, to move the sexual assault thing out of uh to, out of committee to get a vote. Yet it hasn't happened yet, and it evidently has a majority in the House. And now there's an article written by Robert Burns, and um, her name, first name is Lolita. Her last name is Baldor. Um, they write on military stuff for the Associated Press. Burns, obviously, very, very reputable, and she appears with him constantly. So I, she has the same reputation that he does if they work together. Um, headline, military leaders wary of changes in sexual assault policy. So we've seen the SECDEF say that he thinks it's time for change. We saw the chairman say that, you know, we really haven't done very well with this. But the service chiefs, uh, service secretaries have pushed back against this. Um, does that surprise you? Is this political theater? What do you all think? Well, when you read the article, item one is what's the problem you're trying to solve, right? The problem identified in the article has got to do with prosecution, but they use that as a proxy for sexual assault. Right. So, uh, you know, it's just confusing. Identify the problem you're trying to solve. The fact that it hasn't. Well, and again, we, we've talked about this and, and, and again, I had, I did a really interesting interview um, with a guy who wrote uh, a, a series of articles um, scholarly legal articles. I mean, he's like the head of a, you know, uh, principal at law school, and his co-author is principal at a law school, and uh, you know about the data that comes out of military prosecutions and how many cases get prosecuted, and so the, their conclusion is that you will see less prosecutions because there is an evidentiary gap that a commanding officer will disregard and take a case to court-martial that a professional prosecutor will not disregard. And their, their, their statement is a commander takes these things to court-martial in order to maintain good order and discipline. That's why he or she does this. And they say with not doing that is going to impact the unit. And that's some of, some of the things that are out there. So with that said, we'll continue. 
Yeah, and the idea that it hasn't gotten a floor vote in the Senate yet shouldn't really be surprising. I think that there's a lot of non-controversial legislation, not controversial meaning, i.e., you can get 61 votes uh, that doesn't get to the floor simply because of time. You know, the Senate is they just dropped a six billion dollar or six trillion dollar budget. Uh, they got a whole lot of priorities, and if you were to ask the Secretary of Defense. You know what his highest priorities are. Uh, if the if the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, you know, I don't know that this would make his top five. And so there's a lot of shit that get that needs to get done. And because it's Kirsten Gillibrand's number one priority, she doesn't have the juice in the Senate to leverage anyone to get this thing on the floor uh, for a vote. So. You know, if if it's a fait accompli and the people that are against it see that, that, that they can't win, they can't filibuster it, maybe they'll do something by unanimous consent to get it through. But to take up time and debate, you know, they got to go on their vacations, they got to go on their junkets, uh, and they got to pay off big constituencies. And the people pushing for this is not a big constituency, as opposed to, all the other, there's no money involved in this, right? Right, right? So it doesn't attract a lot of legislative attention as opposed to the things that are trillions of dollars. That gets senators and congressmen really excited about how to divide up that pie. So that, that wouldn't surprise me that it doesn't get a vote. It, it might, you know, I don't know how all this stuff works, but when they come up for promotions or something like that, they do it on voice vote. Maybe they slip this thing in there on a must-pass bill like that to get it done. Um, who knows? But, yeah, and it, it is interesting that the service secretaries are a little bit wary of it. Although the Secretary of the Navy, you know, seem to be in favor of taking things away from the captain of the ship. So you're going against a couple thousand years of naval tradition where the CEO of the ship is God. Right, and, and, and service secretary, and that says, "Well, maybe not so much." But okay. in but in keeping with the concept, he had a problem with this authority going outside the Department of the Navy, and wanted to keep it inside the Department of the Navy, so he would have, or whoever follows him, would have purview over it. Right. So in keeping with, you know, look, I'll take it away from them, but don't take it away from me. He also, if I read right in that article, there were some other capital crimes like murder and rape that he wanted to take away from the CEO of the ship. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe it'll work. Who knows? Got it. Uh, Got it. Anybody else thoughts on that? I, I, I think if you look where it's going, particularly as uh, our number one problem seems to be uh, implementation of critical race theory principles, where it's eventually going to go, they keep this up. Is you're going to have political officers at the edit with every command. I, I it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in some ways. How do you get that to me? How, how do you get that from a separate UCMJ authority? How do you get to political officers? Well, okay, so we're we're, we're talking about dealing with uh, uh, the sexual harassment problem in the military. Which I don't think is a is a problem which which we don't want to discuss in detail. Uh, we don't want to really talk about what's going on because it gets everybody uncomfortable. Because the military's definition of sexual harassment is different than the civilians' definition. Because 
And what's what is the challenge in the sexual assault prosecutions? What is the challenge? What is the problem? What's the challenge to getting more convictions? Evidence. Evidence. It's it's the yeah, fact that there's a bill of rights yeah. out there. And that so pesky you, bill of rights. You you make this. It's much more of a political crime, mm-hmm. um, and you know I'm I'm not willing to make the leap that we're going to have commissars. But you identify this as a political crime. Once you've identified something that can be taken away from the chain of command, then the floodgates are open for mm-hmm. other potential crimes to be identified that have to go to some other third party. You know, in the in my sense, you know, well, you're right. I think in my sense, there's been a lot of people prosecuted because lawyers advised the commanders to do it when the commander's instinct probably wasn't. And, uh, you know, on all kinds of things that happened since uh, 2001, particularly. I, I just say once you've identified a third party, you know, in the Soviet Union, they called them commissars. And that's what Tim was saying. And I see I could see that some guy yeah. advising the CO. Well, you know, this wouldn't really be good for the way. Yeah, but that's viewed, going on but, right yeah. now. But that's going on right now, though. And I, and let me tell you, no, I don't think that's exactly my point. I don't but think as a CEO, so. The as so the CEO, you have authority. As a CEO, you have authority. I I had advice from lawyers on what to charge people with, what to not charge people with, and that's exactly what it was: advice. And if they wanted to go around me after that, I would have been happy. You know, to have that meeting of the minds in front of our common commander. Yeah, but the common commander was going to side with a lawyer. Well, I'm obviously not the right person to be the CEO of this unit. Yeah, you're not because you're not that guy that we're talking about. But when you look at, you know, so the average commander now has a lawyer telling them the legal implications of this. And he's also got the looming specter of social media hanging over him or her of if you don't do what um, I don't know what the, how to phrase it if you don't do what the victim wants you to do right they're going on TikTok and they're going to air your shit out and your career is going to be over what about chaplains what's their function now I don't know yeah. I, I think it always depends on the quality of the chaplain right oh of course it, of, right. of course of course it does but I've been reading the book by that Air Force officer and his chaplain is a political officer. Uh, he had real problems, but he, he he addressed it the same way Will would, and I have no doubt Will would would do that. But I also know there's a lot of guys that wouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, honestly, I think there's more more commanding officers that won't than th- that will. Yeah, right? exactly. That, I don't I, think that's true of our generation, but it appears to be the case. Well, I, I don't think that we lived in a generation where your decisions as a commanding officer were going to get on social media tonight and that you, and you would be relieved. And I mean, we didn't, the only time you saw uh, command climate surveys done was it when they were going to relieve somebody, right? They came in yeah. and they did the command climate survey on Tuesday and you got relieved on Thursday. But, well, not, not only that, but if somebody was making accusations that you're being controlled by a, by a, a, a lawyer or, or a chaplain, we get in fights over that shit. 
<laughs> you, you can't say that and walk away. No, 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 no. That's serious. That's a serious accusation. But nowadays it seems to be uh, almost an established routine. It's weird. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, command now, um, you could see why people turn it down. Yeah, no shit. Like, I, you know, and again, it's the atypical commander that looks at the lawyer and says, okay, thank you, leave. And again, we've had this conversation that lawyers used to be people that you looked at and said, find me a way to yes. Don't yeah, come yeah, in here exactly. and tell me no. Your job is to find me the smallest scintilla of terra firma that I can stand on to defend what I want to do. You know, don't come in here and, and, and yeah. tell me like you're the commanding officer what I should do. Right, you're you're supposed to find me a way to get to yes. Yeah, I remember in 2017, I'm I'm a contractor in uh, a task force um, uh, southwest out there in, in the Shoreab and Leatherneck, and Roger Turner, because of the rules of engagement, he had to he had to be the one who approved every strike. Right. So they got these guys in this house, and uh, they're going to do a, a, a you know a hellfire strike, no, a, a you know a, a goddamn. No, no, no. It was a precision uh, munition. But anyway, um, the, the lawyer there says, sir, you know, I, I think that uh, the ECR on that might be a little bit uh, and uh, uh, hellfire. It was a hellfire missile. Right? He goes, yeah. and right you now we all know Roger Turner and Roger goes, uh, yeah, you know what the uh, what the ECR is for a hellfire missile? Well, sir, I'm a little bit. Yeah, well, I do. So that mission's good. Shoot it. And, uh, <laughs> and they whacked a bunch of people that were in there. And uh, so. Those guys still exist out there, you know. And then uh, there's like the the CO of one five now. I don't you know, I don't know about any specific instance, but I've had dealings with him, Lieutenant Colonel Terrell. Um, put him through IOCs, the last class that uh, we put through in 2003, early to that late 2002, early 2003. And he's a CO. He went to one five as a second lieutenant. As a, as a replacement, one right now. Yeah, as a replacement in the march up. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was also um, on recruiting duty in Detroit. Uh, yeah, that's during, yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. During the, the Siddiqui thing, and Siddiqui's from the De- Detroit recruiting station, and he he was in the middle of all of that. He's very, oh, yeah. Inter- yeah, very interesting, yeah, very interesting, well thought, uh, well spoken guy. I've 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 been in his company a few times and. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jeff, but he's good. No, he, he's just jumps to my mind. There's a lot of other ones out there too. Uh, you know, the, these young guys. It's, it's encouraging to see them. And I and the, you know, the battalion commanders are coming up now. Talk about feeling old. I remember them as second mm-hmm. lieutenants. You know, graduating uh, from uh, from the infantry officer course, and uh, you know, a lot of them are just, you know, um, almost everyone I see is uh, is exceptional. I, of course, there's exceptions, you know, but uh, there's a lot of good ones out but there. I, I will tell you, I make no mistake about it. The the environment in which you command today is is incredibly, I think, um, challenging. Uh, I think yeah. the staff NCOs um, is in the Marine Corps are pulled back uh, after the PAC order, so you have to deal with what's called the barracks war. Who's going to run the barracks? You? Right. Or the or the senior lance corporals, who's going to run that? Yeah. You have to deal with and command climate. About, yeah, command climate surveys. Right. You have to deal right. with their social media posts. I mean, it's well, you know, yeah. it's. It, well, we'll talk about you know the commandant's you know his bailiwick and 
the thing that struck me about the good commandants is they made it easier or less difficult, put it that way, for a sergeant and a lieutenant to do their jobs. But guys like Wilson and Barrow got rid of the riffraff and, and uh, drug addicts and stuff like that. And then General Gray made it so that uh, it was easier for a guy who's at the sharp end, at the squad and platoon level, where the guy has to pull more than push. He just doesn't run a staff. He's that's where the hard shit happens. And we say, oh, it's much more challenging to be a you know a, 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 a regimental commander. Bullshit, man. That's where it's hard. And the commandant, the last commandant, in my opinion, who really was who did things for the guy who was doing that, probably General Conway, because you know at, we got a lot of finger wagging commandants. You know, after General Gray, you know what I'm talking about, and. Uh, you know, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that. You can't, can't, you know, you know, focusing on a small minority of the Marines doing things wrong and tarring everybody with that brush. And, uh, you know, but the, the last guy who I think really helped out those low-ranking guys, and it has application, Mac, to what we were talking about regarding the AV incident. And you're saying the small unit leadership. These guys made it so that the guy worried about combat leadership. He worried about operational stuff. Because when you have, when you go up against an objective, and it's your fire against theirs. That's the hardest thing in the fucking world for anybody to do. So leave that guy, leave those other rocks out of that guy's pack. You know? I can't. I think I'm dead here. Can you hear me? No, nobody's saying. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's saying anything. You know, but again, Jeff, I, I, I don't. I don't disagree with what you're saying. But here, here's a, so, but commandants don't do that anymore. They don't make it simple. Think about this. You know, everybody now, I mean, a cl- command climate survey is, is, is a referendum on your leadership. Right. And if they're not happy, does that mean you go? Well, for some guys, yeah. And, and you used to have, you know, leaders who just looked at that thing and said, yeah, whatever. You know, I know you're good. I know you're, you, what you're doing. You're doing what you've always done from the time you were a company commander. You know, don't worry. Hey, don't worry about what they say. You keep doing what's right. You know it, right? Do we have those guys anymore, right? But that's part of it. The social media is is a part of it too, whether we like it or not. And and that stuff, you know, gets in. Um, that stuff gets in the news. I mean, to me, right. you, do you remember when One Five had that formation and all those guys got arrested in front of everybody? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. old. That's old Marine Corps, right? That's old Marine Corps. That's the way we used to be, in front of God and everybody. Here's what it is. Oh, that became the worst thing that ever happened. You know, bullshit. So I, I think it, 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 it is. We need a commandant that will step in and say, "Okay, don't worry about this. We will authorize when we want a." command climate survey it is not going to be a normal part or an annual part of are they happy with what you're fucking doing we want you to be operationally excellent if we're concerned your higher commander will initiate it unless you want one of your own volition right i i I don't know i we need a commandant that steps in and does the things that you're talking about make this simple right and whatnot yeah will you Lean forward towards that. Yeah, I mean, right now there's a requirement when you do a change of command to do a command climate survey, I think, in your first 30, if not your first 90 days. Why? No, that's that's your baseline. 
and, and I don't disagree with that. You're the new guy coming in. They do a survey and now you've got a baseline and then you can use that or not use it for whatever. Um, you know, one thing that I've noticed. Yeah, but Will, okay, I, Will, let me tell you. So you, what you're talking about is I'm the commander. I use it as a tool, but we exactly. know, we know that's not the way it gets used. And, but what, what I'm saying, and, and to just riff on this idea of how the commandant can help, um, do we think that the Marine Corps is more complicated or less complicated than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? I think it's an order of magnitude more complicated. And, uh, you, you know, one of the things that I learned from General Mattis, uh, you went into that environment, and it's a pretty complicated environment. And in many ways, he tried to simplify it for you. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but he gave you a couple of things that these are the red lines. You cross them, you're fired. Now, there was a bunch of other shit that went on out there as well. And and I said, you know, that's got to be one of the things for the commander to do to simplify for subordinate leaders. Uh, and instead of convening a blue ribbon commission, Again, the commandant, uh, if he is unhappy with something in the Marine Corps that's within his purview, then simplify it for people. Um, don't complicate it. What is a Blue Ribbon Commission going to do to give better guidance on what a focus of training should be? Yeah, and so that absolutely, you know, just as – Jeff said, made it easy for the guy up front. I don't want the commandant to reach down with a freaking 4,000-mile screwdriver to no, tell yeah, me how right. to run this platoon. Right. But it should. everyone in the Marine Corps should know these are the basics that we are going to be brilliant in. We're going to be physically fit. We're going to know our equipment, maintain our equipment. We're going to expect excellence out of our subordinates, and we're going to reward excellence, and we are going to seek out recalcitrance, and we are going to eradicate it from the force. And if you do that in a positive, uh, even-handed, thoughtful manner, then eventually you should be a three-star general or the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. And if you're incapable of doing those simple things, then you should be part of the alumni association who didn't quite get through your first enlistment. And those are, they're, they're not hard, but they are hard because of all the noise that's out there. And it takes significant leadership. And again, our good friend, Dave Furness identified that as an issue and he tried to simplify it with a framework for people on how to identify a disciplined force. Right. To me, that's well within the purview of the division commander. Um, and and to go back to what you're saying, Mac, about social media, it pops on social media and it gets misconstrued and he didn't necessarily get backed up on it. Um, well, then maybe he's not the right leader for the modern Marine Corps. Um, but that version of the Marine Corps is going to be very challenged to be successful in any kind of combat, let alone peer competitor. How about a blue ribbon commission to uh, look into um, recommendations made by investigations after class A mishaps and what happened to those recommendations? 
How about leaders doing that? Because all those things come back to them. Right. And they do it, and then they're held accountable to it. I don't need a bunch of people that are going to kick this thing down the road after Grand Per Diem for seven months because they can't think <laughs> of some other way to fill up their retired life. I can give them all kinds of recommendations on how to spend their time as a retiree instead of fucking around with the Marine Corps on some blue ribbon commission. Yeah, I, I, I just pretty much they're fun too. They're yeah, what? Man. They're, they're fun. a lot of fun. All these other things you can do when you're retired. Oh. No, I just think that <laughs> that that uh, what concerns me about both the, the the you know General Thomas, the Assistant Commandant's comments uh, before the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Readiness, and now the Commandant is is they're solving. In my opinion, they're solving the wrong problem. They have a problem that, that as, as, as Jeff articulated. Exactly. That, Matt, that, you have finally graduated thank from you. the school. Right, right. Exactly, right. exactly. Right, thank you very much. So on that note, uh, on that note, let's, uh, no, I mean, to me, I mean, you know, simplify it, you know, give these guys focus. Take, tell, you know, tell them, I don't care what about social media you know, and the command climate survey is not going to be used against you. It's a tool for you, right? If you see your higher headquarters initiate one, right, to just start packing your shit, okay? Because that's you being towed to Cat 1 and about to get launched, right? That's how that shit works, okay? But until then, <laughs> do what do what the fuck you know how to do. There's a reason you're in command. And, and, and don't worry about social media because we won't react to it. We won't react to it. And here's we're going to go to what are you reading? And here's a great example. I'm reading this book, Learning War, by Hone, right. and it talks about the Navy starting about 1890 becoming a professional organization. So early in World War II, um, you know how a Navy ship used to run. The captain was on the bridge, and all the information came to the bridge. And then they got radar, and they figured they needed a way to integrate radar. So someone came up with this idea of a combat information center. And Ernest King, <laughs> the commander-in-chief of the U.S. fleet, the chief of naval operations, and the Navy guy who sits with the president and the combined chiefs to figure out worldwide strategy and the biggest war in the history of the world convenes a conference on combat information centers because – it's important. And basically what came out of that is Nimitz goes back to Hawaii and says, every ship will have a combat information center. That was the guidance. Didn't tell him how to do it. Didn't tell him what it was going to look like. But he knew this was a good idea. He also knew it was a good idea. It had been proven in combat already. But he didn't quite know how to do it for every specific ship with all their different information sources and all their different organizations. But he said, do it. He simplified for the COs of those ships something to make them more combat effective. And again, you think of all the things Ernest King had to deal with. But the idea that he actually convened a conference on this and did it. That is focused leadership. And that Nimitz is also smart enough not to tell people how to suck the egg. There's an egg. It's got to be sucked. You figure it out. And then 
feed me back what you learned. And I keep feeding that back so we have this positive reinforcement, information, learning loop, so we all get better at what we're here to do, kill Japanese at the least expense to American lives and treasure. Unbelievable. And they did it while they had a couple of other things going on. Yeah, that book, Learning War, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal book. I think it was published in 18 or maybe 19. I mean, every general and every admiral should be reading that book right now because it's applicable to what's going on today. You you need to give the obligatory Mike Marletto citation. Well, yeah, Mar- Marletto. Yeah, he when we talked, whatever it was, three or four weeks ago, suggested that book, and uh, and I picked it up, and it's yeah, absolutely one of the best book recommendations that I've gotten in a long time. All right. So, Will's book. Tim, what are you reading? I've got two I've been uh, been working on. The first is The Irresistible Revolution um, by that uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Matthew Lomar. And and uh, I'm very much enjoying reading the book. I'm alarmed by some of the examples that he's using, uh, and I think I would like to just talk about that at another time. I think we, I think we need to talk about that book at length. The second book that I've been reading and I've been listening to it because I got a free uh, credit on Audible is something for Jeff Kenny. And it's friggin crazy. Are you guys ready? Chaos. Chaos. The name of the I, the name of the CIA operation in San Francisco during the summer of love where they're dosing everybody with acid and narcotics to see what would happen. Oh. And Charles Manson, the entire helter skelter story is complete fucking bullshit. And this guy who started writing this book 20 years ago broke through and has finally found enough information that he can link Manson directly to the CIA. I kid you not. And it also talks about uh, co-impro, the FBI program. The FBI had a program where they were were running Black Panthers against other black black nationalists and, and having them fight each other. They would set these things up so they would go and kill each other and record them. But uh, uh, the stuff that I'm finding out about about how this Charlie Manson story came to be accepted as the law, the the coin of the realm, it's it is friggin' fascinating. And uh, and I and I tell you right now, I know Jeff, you've got, you've got to read this. I you're will. gonna go, you're gonna go crazy. So many names come up in that damn course of that thing, including CIA names. It's just it's insanity. Well, and what's the name of the book? The name of the book is Chaos. It's uh, which is the name of the uh, the CIA program that they ran in the sixties, and it's the story of uh, um, the story of, of course, the uh, the Charles Manson family murders. Everything that you think you know about him is probably wrong. Another one of those books. It's just fascinating, fascinating. Got it, Jeff. We know you're really busy um, <laughs> with your books yeah, I, with your books in transit. What are you reading? Well, I'm still, I, I, I transitioned the ghost ship from where they, they finally get sunk. The the, uh, the Houston and the uh, Perth go down fighting. And uh, now it shifts to uh, where their POWs, the survivors, and they're working in that area of Burma where the, uh, the Japanese are building another rail system to supply them for their ambitions to the, uh, from they see it, from the way they see it to the West. So uh, there's that. And then I, I read, I got the book, um, Breaking the News by the guy who's the editor of the of Breitbart. 
And uh, it's it basically researched a, a lot of the ways the news is tied together. And I haven't really been able to get in, into it too much, but I have to tell you, he the guy's on TV all the time now. What the fuck's it? Marley, I think his name is. He's uh, you know, understudy of uh, of Matthew Breitbart and uh, and uh, Steve Bannon, that guy. So that's what I'm doing. But you're right. I've been real busy with this goddamn move, which never ends. Yeah, they tend not to. They tend not yeah. to. All right, boys. Uh, first of all, appreciate your time today. An extended version. And uh, um, uh, if you missed it, you know, Tim, uh, I think uh, everybody um, – uh, the death of, uh, you know, Mr. Hornfisher is uh, certainly a sad day uh, for anybody who uh, loves naval literature and, and loves great naval literature. Uh, he gave uh, a new life to stories that had been written um, mm-hmm. in a, uh, you know, I, I guess written as well as they could have been written, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But uh, he gave those stories new life and animated them. And, uh, and and I know that I certainly, you know, would not have uh, learned about Ernest Evans uh, were it not right. for the last ten, can, uh, stand of the Tin Can Sailor. So, uh, so uh, uh, sad, uh, sad day, and we mourn his passing. And uh, thank Tim for bringing that up. So uh, have a great day, guys. Thanks for the, the visit. We'll talk again next week. All right, bet. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Later. That on this uh, Thursday is the uh, the Mensa event. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's you know it's it's much more challenging to command now, and uh, some of that stuff needs to be simplified. I, let me tell you another thing. I, I should have mentioned it while they were on, but you know, at about two thousand ten. Um, at about 2010, you know, this notion of the barracks don't belong to us anymore uh, goes around the Marine Corps. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to attribute it to anybody because I'm not exactly sure about the attribution. But I believe, I'm pretty sure it was when General Amos was a commandant. And, um, and I will tell you that, that that's had a detrimental effect on good order and discipline in, in, in the Marine Corps. That whole notion, right? That whole notion. And so commanders live with that. Yeah, I've got a right. You can't tell me, right? So, uh, and, and you know what? And some of that is true in some parts of their life, but not where they live, not where we live together. So, anyway. Um, thanks for listening on a Thursday. Um, I'm Mike McNamara, the Submarine Radio. Those were the Mensa brothers, uh, Will Cosentini, uh, Tim Lynch, and Jeff Kenny. And uh, thanks for listening. If you get a chance to uh, help somebody change their life, uh, don't be afraid to do that. Uh, again, if you know somebody that's been impacted by trauma, uh, I do online seminars. Another one starts on the 29th of February. I'm sorry, 29th of June. And uh, takes place once a week. It's going to take place on Tuesdays at 5.30 Pacific time. And there are Zoom events. So if you know somebody that you think could be helped by that, by all means, uh, tell them to uh, go to the posttraumaticwinning.com website. 
and they'll see a tab that says online seminars. Click on that. All the information they need, right, is on there. All I got to do is shoot an email, and uh, and it'll come to me, and uh, that's all it takes. So on this Thursday, have a great day. Don't be afraid to help somebody. Right. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you help yourself. So I'm Mike McNamara. I'll see you tomorrow. Back in the-